0: I was thinking that one thing I'm not so good at is I am as good as. You know, one thing I'm not so good at. Oh, yeah. One, one thing out of, out of all of my millions of talents.
1: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Lainey, I'm a blogger at LaineyGossip.com. I am a talk show host and an entertainment reporter, and I am anti BB-8. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer. Uh, I guess I'm pro BB-8. Welcome to Show Your Work, our podcast about work. And on this episode, we try to answer the question: What is Ryan Reynolds? A very
0: surprising reason that we brought up that question. Then we go into the exciting new partnership between Lena Waithe and Melina Matsoukas on their very first feature film, Queen & Slim.
1: And then the rise of Gene Smart. Let's get to work. So there's this app where... Celebrities sign up because then regular people can go on the app and pay for the celebrity to deliver messages to their loved ones or hated ones. I've
0: heard about this. Uh, Hated ones, I assume, is your addition, right? That's not a real marketing…
1: Well, typically, the app is used for birthday messages, right? So I can pay whoever B-lister, C-lister is on the app. 100 or 200 or 500 dollars to get, like, let's say if Lynn Manuel Miranda was on it, then I would pay however much it costs to get Lynn to send you a happy birthday message or whatever. Okay. Yes. I actually know
0: about this from like uh, reality people that I would rather not know.
1: But yes. Exactly. But it made headlines this week because someone used the app to get uh, Mark. Oh, God, I can't even remember his name. Um, Cuban? Na- Marin? Na- <laughs> um, Consuelos? Um, no, like 90s pop guy. Oh, my God. Mark Morrison? No. Like Return of the Mac? No, no. Not that cool. Return of the Mac. Return of the Mac is a great song. You said Mark 90s. Mark… McGuire. Um, yes. Really? Yes. Sugar Ray. Yes. Okay. Mark McGuire and Anthony Scaramucci random. Yeah. They hired those two separately to deliver I want to break up with you messages <laughs> to their boyfriend. Okay. So I want to know if you think you'd be good at that job. Do you think you would be good at breaking up with someone for someone else? I would be excellent. I disagree. Why? Because I think that you're so rational that um it would it would lead to a conversation. And Yassick <laughs> <Jacek> is dying. <laughs> <laughs> From another room he's yes, dying. It would lead, lead to a conversation and then a debate. And the whole point of breaking up is cut the shit off. The end, get the fuck out.
0: But this is the thing though, this calls into mind my this is my business person part of me. Okay. That, you know, this is business, technically, what we're doing, but you don't see this often enough. Um, I once, uh, well, several times, uh, Sasha's husband was once with me when I was having a very crisp business conversation. And when I hung up, he was like, Jesus, I'm afraid, um, which is something I really value. Uh, I No, I think I'd be really good at that. It's because I'm working for
1: the the breaker, not the breaky, right? Okay, break up with me. Right now? Yeah, like you are speaking on behalf of somebody and I am the person who is going to be dumped. Okay, but make it worth it. Okay. All right.
0: Hi, Elaine. I'm calling from uh, B-List Celebrity Services and I have a message for you. Uh, it's from Yasek. He- B-List Celebrity Services. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Yasek wants you to know he's really enjoyed the time you've spent. He thinks the time has come to a close, so you guys aren't going to see each other anymore. (laughs) Um, He thanks you for everything, and he requests that you leave that one sweater in the mailbox, or you can also mail it. If you'd like to do that, press 3, and we'll figure out how to arrange the mailing for you.
1: Okay, maybe I should change my position, because… Even though you are thorough, you have covered all the bases. You are very specific, right? You've covered the sweater. You've covered um, what? Like you will not speak anymore after <laughs> this. <laughs> That's true. I really like the specificity of that. Right. There was no open door. Okay.
0: Now I, my I will mind say, on you
1: Thank you. Now it's
0: of course. In this case, it's meant to be a a message left, not a conversation, as you say, right? Yeah,
1: it's meant to be a message left. And here's where I think that the app could be improved, um, (laughs) is on the service that is breaking up, I think you should have sub-options where, okay, what do you want? Birthday, breakup, anniversary, whatever. Mm -hmm, If you choose mm -hmm. breakup, then it should lead you to another page or another box that says, okay, uh, do you want it to be a kind breakup or a nasty breakup?
0: See, this is where I think, like, you could get a nasty breakup done without involving a celebrity. This is where I think you're going to have problems, right? They only want to deliver nice messages. I guess the other part of the message I should have left is, uh, he thought that I would soften the blow, so it's me, Duana Taha, to soften the blow for you.
1: I think it's quite already a message when the other person, the person who's dumping you essentially, is willing to spend money. Not to have to see your face? To say goodbye to you, yeah. I mean, it's basically a singing telegram. hmm yeah. And I listen, apparently people are making tons of money off of this. Like the, as you said, the B-list dumping services or whatever you called it. Uh, yeah, because you can spend a whole afternoon. Like, let's say you've accumulated, I don't know, 40 orders. Then you go through the list. It's actually like telemarketing. I See, now I'm like… Have you ever telemarketed? Never. Okay. Did you? So I have… Yeah. I've telemarketed and you essentially just get a piece of paper or a stack of papers and there are phone numbers. This is like years ago, so I'm sure it's automated now. Sure. But before, you got a stack of papers, you just take your ruler and you go one by one down the list of phone numbers and you just call and do the thing.
0: And… I just love that there's this idea that it's just like okay, next, next, next. Yeah. Like you're just in all these people's lives. So like if
1: you're Mark, whatever Sugar Ray. What's his name again? McGuire. Mark, because there was also a baseball player, right? Mm, yes, there is a baseball player called Mark McGuire. Mm-hmm. Is that the same name? I think so. I think there was like weird confusion. We do not have to look this up. <laughs>
0: Put your phone down. It's like uh, Rob Thomas. Ninety percent of people who talk about Rob Thomas are thinking of… Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And the other 10 percent, the right-thinking 10 percent, are thinking of the creator of Veronica Mars. Got
1: it. Okay. The right thinking. Anyway, where was I? Uh, telemarketing? Oh, yeah. So, Mark McGuire, if he gets whatever, 30 orders, then he spends an afternoon, and then that's what? What's 30 times 100 minimum? $3,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's even easier than going to
0: those autograph signing cons and taking home like garbage bags full of 20s.
1: Yeah, And again, for B-listers or whatever, this is like a new form of work. Yeah. I mean, look, I really enjoyed breaking up with you just now.
0: I'm (laughs) like, can I pick up some of this work on Fiverr? Like, (laughs) who can I be leaving messages for?
1: I, I I just love the fact that this is how entrepreneurial it's gotten. As you said, you've compared it to the cons, where if you go to the con, you have to pay the expense of getting your hair and makeup done mm-hmm. if you are a celebrity, right? Yep. You spend, I don't know, there's travel. To I'm sure they but yes. And then, I mean, as I don't know, recently as five years ago, sometimes it was $20 a signed photo. Like, and you're just sitting there and it's 20, 20, 20, 20, 20.
0: Right, but you're getting carpal tunnel a bit. Yeah. I mean, this way you can be at home.
1: Yes, and you just have to keep your voice lubricated. Yes, I can't shit on this for the the certain level of celebrity that's out there. For Mark Sugaray, it's great. Um,
0: you led me to an unexpected uh, digression, though. I sent you and our other friend an article about Christmas Con and uh, this convention that is all about Christmas. Mm-hmm and Christmas movies, and they talked in that article, which we will now link in the show notes, because I want to talk about this with you, about how they knew they could pull off the con, the whole thing would work if they could get Lacey Chabert. Uh, Lacey Chabert, of course, uh, was Claudia in Party of Five, was Gretchen in Mean Girls, and she's like the queen of the Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah. And they were like, if we can get her, this whole thing is going to go. Anyway, I want to deep dive on this with you at a later point. Before Christmas, you love Christmas, so uh, you you pressure people to pressure me sometimes, so this is me turning it back on you.
1: Tell Lainey that you want to talk about
0: Christmas Con.
1: All right. Well, I gave myself a segue uh-huh. because we're talking about different ways to make money if you're a celebrity or at least new ways, mm-hmm. and that's leading me to our first headliner today. Sure. Ryan Reynolds… Oh, yes. So the latest news on Ryan Reynolds, even after his unexpected surprise appearance on Saturday Night Live, is that he now has an ownership stake in Mint Mobile, Mm -hmm. which is no storefront mobile. Everything is done online. Like, it's not the kind of mobile service… You know, a lot of uh, telecom companies have a storefront in the mall or whatever… Right, Mint Mobile is none of that. So, and we should It's virtual. When you say mobile, it's mobile phones. Yeah. Um, but
0: also not Mint the money app
1: because
0: no. that's also a product called Mint.
1: Yeah. This right. is Mint Mobile. They actually, I mean, this is irrelevant in the sense of I don't think it's going to be germane to our conversation, but what they don't actually have their own lines? You, their own airwaves, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they borrow from other telecoms, mm-hmm. and it's virtual service. You sign up. Anyway, he is now an owner, Ryan Reynolds. Okay. So he's got gin. He's got mobile. Right. He's got Deadpool. <laughs> and various other… And you pitched it before this Mint Mobile, um, this Mint mobile investment came up. You pitched it because you were like, what is, and I laughed at the title of your email. The title of your email was, what is Ryan Reynolds? What is Ryan Reynolds? And I think I said, what is Ryan Reynolds'
0: career? Because I don't understand. I, like, I'll be honest, you know, he probably has made some sound investments. Mint Mobile sounds kind of cool, I guess. We're not being paid by them. Um, But I, you know, I go, yeah, sure, celebrities have money and they use it. Not all celebrities do what he does in terms of roles that kind of mock him. I mean, Ryan Reynolds, lest we forget, is basically the reason that we have the masked singer in North America.
1: Yeah, you're right. I right? Mean, that viral clip of when he went to South Korea to promote Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he agreed to be in the costume. Right.
0: And Um, he's A-list. Which must have been… Yeah, but he's almost A-asterisk list. This is the thing that I'm sort of getting at. Yeah, he's A-list in terms of being a name and in terms of roles he probably gets offered, but he doesn't take them. Ryan Reynolds has never done a,
1: like, serious uh, drama bait film, right? I think a couple of years ago he was in a Helen Mirren movie… it was, but but th- the fact that you're calling it a Helen Mirren movie, <laughs> yes, it's not a serious contender, and it was not a Ryan Reynolds movie. Yeah, like it was a contender for thirty seconds, where sure. some people were like, "Oh, Helen Mirren's in a movie, and it's about uh, the Holocaust." And okay, well, you can't say the Holocaust after I was just a dick. Like that's no, not cool. I'm not. You are obviously not in support of the Holocaust. No, the but Holocaust it, is terrible. Yes. Um, but he, yeah, he doesn't
0: take, he, like he's A-list in a sense, but he doesn't take those big roles and he's always making fun of himself. And it's really interesting because he, to to sort of not bury the lead. So yes, Ryan Reynolds uh, is the reason we have the masked singer because he was in a <laughs> viral video in South Korea, which then had so much interest that they franchised it over here. Yeah. And then, yeah, Saturday night, we watched Saturday Night Live live, which we're old, we
1: don't always do anymore. Uh Did you watch it live? I watched it the next morning, but that's an anomaly. Typically, I do watch it live. And I should say here, just a little quick tangent, that we are not, you and I, uh one of those people who sits around bitching about how much it sucks. No. Uh Because there's that, right? Like, there's a thing. Saturday Night Live used to be funny, and it's not funny anymore, which every generation of Saturday Night Live cast has that launched at them. Like, people will never admit to this, but when the Will Ferrell cast mm-hmm. was in its prime, that's what people then used to say. Oh, this is not Jim Belushi. This is not funny anymore. And now, like, everybody looks back at the Will Ferrell era like it was one of the golden periods of SNL. Well, I mean,
0: I've been watching SNL, I realized, for a shocking amount of time.
1: Me too. Like-
0: and I, yeah, yeah. It, I might be into my third decade of watching yes. this show. I was too young when I was staying up late, but doesn't mean that we're not mad at it sometimes. Yeah, like, no, whatever. You know? But it's a it's a living, breathing organism. Yes, like that's what I love about it that it's different every time. I honestly, Saturday Night Live is like watching baseball or hockey because it's always there for you, and it's going to be great sometimes or it's going to be terrible sometimes. But you kind of rise and fall with it, and so. The monologue, it was Will Ferrell hosting, so it was going to be a good big show. And the monologue was Will Ferrell becoming flummoxed because Ryan Reynolds is in the audience. Yes. And they play it for, you know, the length of a Saturday Night Live monologue. Yep. And just to set it up for you if you didn't watch it or you're geo-blocked or whatever, Will Ferrell is playing Embarrassed Will Ferrell. You know how he does. Yes. And Ryan Reynolds is playing it, like, super straight. Like, yeah. can you just do the thing? Like, not dicky and not overly kind. He's playing no. it yeah. more or less the way you would if a work acquaintance started to be really weird. Yeah.
1: he And he does have a shtick, and none of that was present. He was, he was recognizing that Will's going to bring the funny. The idea in itself is funny, so I don't have to go out of my way. Yeah.
0: No, he didn't overplay. He didn't no. underplay. He wasn't was great. hamming. And so now I want to kind of sidebar for a second. I was thinking that one thing I'm not so good at is I am as good as… <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing I'm not so good at… Oh, yeah. One one thing out of, out of all of my millions of talents. <laughs> but uh, where, like, celebrity sightings and things are concerned… I have to be honest that a a beard or a cap or whatnot, I do get a little bit face blind. They throw me off. Who? If there's a beard, if there's a, oh, a oh, cap, okay. if the hair color is different than Got what it. I Got have it. in my head. yeah, Disguises work on you. They do. Okay. And then I was thinking in that segment that Ryan Reynolds must have been through this a lot, like that people are kind of being weird when they recognize him. And then I thought he might be one of the most recognizable celebrities. His face doesn't change. No. He looks the exact same in every role, in every shoot, in every everything. He looks exactly like Ryan Reynolds. And when he has
1: a beard, it's like he doesn't have a beard.
0: No. It I just, don't see the beard. No, the beard continues to be part of Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that rare, do we think? Mm, I feel like the Ryan Gosling has the same thing. I don't I think Ryan Gosling or I think Ryan Gosling could be there could be other people on the street where you could be like did I just see Ryan Gosling maybe I did I don't know maybe but Ryan Reynolds I feel like you would know
1: and I um, wait so okay so the the argument here or the 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 hypothesis that you're raising is that Ryan Reynolds always looks like Ryan Reynolds correct and that Ryan Gosling sometimes doesn't like, can disappear into a disguise? Maybe.
0: Like I'm I haven't seen I've met Ryan Gosling a couple times. Um <laughs> no, but like uh you know, I would buy more that I would
1: that Ryan Gosling could walk by you and you wouldn't know.
0: Or at least that I would question it or double sure. take more. Okay. But that if Ryan Reynolds walks by me I'm like, yep. Yeah.
1: Okay. I- um, then maybe, okay, I feel that way about Ryan Gosling, but if you don't, I want to land on somebody else. Matthew McConaughey. You keep picking all these blonde people who are, like… <laughs> I think Matthew McConaughey always looks like Matthew McConaughey and can't disappear, as evidenced by the fact that he doesn't even bother. Like Right. When, <laughs> like, when he plays a New
0: Yorker, he still sounds Texan. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I see that, but to… Yeah, another example maybe is like a, a, I don't know, a Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek always looks exactly like Salma Hayek. Yes. So that's what I'm, yes, I'm suggesting there is a subcategory of people for whom wardrobe and hair and, yeah, facial hair Mm -hmm. do nothing, that they are always exactly that person. The opposite of Christian Bale. The opposite of Christian Bale. Yes. Uh, And, like, we were watching a Drunk History last night where… I, it took me until far later than it should have to go, oh, that's Seth Rogen. Like there are people whose faces are adaptable Yeah. Yeah. and Ryan Reynolds is not those people. That
1: is so interesting that that is like your one thing where disguises work on you because
0: they don't work on me. No, I've seen you a million times see people that I'm like, what, where? (laughs) And I never, and it's something about bone structure or something that I'm like, but where's the telltale blonde hair or whatever I'm looking for? Okay, so, so I'm, I, yeah, so, and as I'm making up this hypothesis on the fly, I also wonder if that is why he did well, does well on SNL, because all people on Saturday Night Live always look like themselves, even though disguises are kind of the name of the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. No matter the wig, no matter the costume, no matter what, they should or they just end up looking like themselves. And I think that's probably if, you know, it's not
0: meant to be a deep dive into Saturday Night Live, but I bet Lauren would say that's a thing, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what you do, we still want to know that it's Kate McKinnon under there. Because that's part of the funny. Exactly.
1: Is watching your friend play dress up in nine different outfits a night. Yeah. Yes. I have to say, it did surprise me that… Like, when I woke up the next morning, because as I said, this week, this past week, I didn't watch Saturday Night Live live for a change. Um, Of course, I checked my phone. That's the first thing I do. And if you happen to text, I always click on you first. I love waking up to a text from you. And you texted me, I think it was at 1.45 a.m., so probably a bit after the show ended, and you were still thinking about it, and you were texting about Ryan Reynolds, and… Then you continued, I think, the next day to text me something to do with Ryan Reynolds. I think it was the pitch. I think you were pitching me for the show to talk about Ryan Reynolds because you couldn't get
0: over it. Well, and because uh, the opening monologue was just the beginning. Yes. Right? And he made two appearances. He made two appearances, which uh, Tina Fey in her book called them sneaker uppers, which uh, in when a celebrity kind of shows up unannounced, yeah, yeah, this show was riddled with them because of all the cameos in yeah, the political that's sketch. The Will
1: Ferrell thing, yeah, yeah. But
0: um, he showed up again, and this is when I knew I had you. Uh, this is when I knew I didn't even have to pitch. He uh-huh. he showed up again on Weekend Update. Yep. So they're doing Weekend Update, which was super short because of the epic political sketch. They had just one guest on Weekend Update, a guy who just bought a boat. Yeah. It's played by Alex Moffat. It's going well. Like, it's funny. Yeah. He's interacting with Colin Jost here and there. And then on slides, Ryan Reynolds. Another guy with a boat. Right. And they're playing like… Overly sexualized douches whose boats are making up for their, like, insecurity of penis.
1: Yeah, they're… the whole… the whole… it's a recurring character on Update, right? It's a douchebag, but, like, a preppy douchebag. So, he wears boat shoes, a cardigan, or a sweater around his shoulders. And is overcompensating. Yeah, and his name is, like, Blaine. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. And… So, and it was overcompensating, and then they, that's the joke, then they end up every, the punchline is always, my dick is small, or, Mm -hmm. you know, I half-cocked it, or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, He fit right in. Well, yeah, so he shows up, he does it. Again,
0: you know, it's one thing to show up on Saturday Night Live and do the, this is what I mean when I say it's like a sport. Like, watching how the not-improv player deals with reading the cue cards and, like, Doing the sketches, it's always kind of funny and weird and whatever. Ryan Reynolds could have been there all the time. Natural. Knew what he was doing, fit right the hell in. Yeah. Slid right in and like played his role for all it's worth. And again, a lot of people who were just dropping by wouldn't want to be like, oh, the douche? Yeah, sure. That's the role I'll play. Yeah. Right? So many ways in which he is unusual. And then, of course, there's one more. Which is? Which is that there he was (laughs) at the Weekend Update desk, like, trading barbs and one-liners with the man who is… Marrying his ex-wife. Come on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love it. What is Ryan Reynolds? Knowing that would be a headline. Knowing
0: that would be a headline, although yeah. I it wasn't the first thing I clued into. The first thing I clued into was like, wow, this is fun. And then it was after it went off that I was like, wait a second.
1: But to get gossipy for a minute before we get back to the work, but it's all hand in hand, to get gossipy, Ryan Reynolds, Colin Jost, if I'm Ryan Reynolds, like, who's worrying? And also, I think if you pulled nine out of ten people – They take Ryan Reynolds over fucking Colin Jost. I mean, I can, as much as I am devoted to uh, Saturday Night Live and tune in every Saturday, I fucking, like, I, Colin Jost is not my favorite.
0: No, but he's part of, like, Colin Jost is one of the head writers of the show. He's not just the smarmy update guy. He makes the show go. Yes. Um, you know are you saying like one of them makes whatever however many million a picture and the other doesn't I don't think all that's that I don't breach. think
1: that Ryan I don't think t- this is why I'm saying I'm getting super gossipy it's 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 that whole the whole reason why this is intriguing that aspect of it is because most of us can put ourselves into that position oh could we do that when there's only one person separating us from, the man who's going to marry my ex, or the woman who's going to marry my ex, or that we share an ex. There is that built-in social discomfort that you don't need to explain. I'm trying to explain it here, but I think people get it, right? Mm -hmm. And part of that stems from a natural sense of competition, a sizing up, a measuring up. Um, Or I always think
0: of a. I was talking to somebody about this recently, and he was shocked. He said, you know, whenever my… Uh, wife meets my ex-girlfriends, they're always super weird to her. And I said, yeah, of course, because those ex-girlfriends think that your wife knows everything about them. Like there's a all
1: my secrets are spilled factor. All of that. I mean, it's layered in with that kind of intimacy and I know something that only two people in the world know and now we're on this desk together. Right. But again, to go back to my point, If I'm Ryan Reynolds, I'm like, yeah, like, no one in the world… And I don't think that he's saying this consciously or out loud, but no one in the world is saying, oh, yeah, Scar Jo to Colin, upgrade over Ryan Reynolds. As if. Okay, well, let's… Maybe you, because you have to be contrarian, that you would be the one person to choose Colin fucking Joest over Ryan Reynolds. Let
0: the record show that I never said anything of the kind. But well, let's go another way here, and let's go back to the enigma that is Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, as we've discussed before, he likes getting married. <laughs> He's yes. been married three times. And engaged four.
1: Okay. There you go. Um, and… Wait, wait. He hasn't been married three times. He's married two times. He married Alanis Morissette. He was engaged to Atl- Alanis. So, okay. engaged three times and married two. Fine. Yeah, um, he likes it. He likes that yeah. whole thing.
0: Yeah, uh, and he's an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, a successful actor. Yeah, but in a business where you're up, you're down, you're hot, you're not—that kind of thing. That mercurial life is kind of baked in. So. Often we sort of link insecurity with actors hand in hand, not just, you know, not just women, not just leading men. We talk about this all the time. This is sort of a known occupational hazard. So what is it about Ryan Reynolds, and maybe it has to do with what you started with, that he has, you know, sort of divesting his interests so he has sort of financial security or something. Why is Ryan Reynolds so secure? I'm not saying he shouldn't be, Mm -hmm. but there's many a good-looking person who isn't, Mm -hmm. or does he feel, because he doesn't have a crazy franchise to uphold, Deadpool is Deadpool, and it's amazing, but again, it's almost an asterisk in the whole uh, superhero compendium. I just wanted to say compendium. Like, what is it that you think gives him such freedom… To be that secure, to make fun of himself, to be sharing the desk with his ex's new
1: fiancé. Like, what do we got here? Well, I'm going to go back to the thing that you always go to is he found his thing. Um, Mm. Let's go… Let's take a little trip in Ryan Reynolds' memory lane. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of his career, the Blades and the Van Wilders, he had a reputation… I've written about this. He was not pleasant on set. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, so the word on him was that he kind of thought he was the shit. And he didn't have, like, you know, the… He has a great reputation now, but he didn't have that reputation at the beginning of his career. And then he worked with one Hugh Jackman, who is, like, the nicest person ever. Ever. That's what everybody
0: says, right? Everybody. You will never, uh, Steve Carell comes up in that con- in that era yeah. as well, like just the nicest guy.
1: Like I've interviewed him, Hugh Jackman. I mean, multiple times. He's there to do his job, which means that he's there to make sure you do your job, and also in a way that is just warm and genuine. But from that point on, I think that there was a switch in attitude, and then. Um, He had some success in the rom-com field. Yeah. Some. Yeah, I know. I mean, he was a staple uh, when rom-coms were still going, Yeah, And I think his most successful rom-com, I would argue, is The Proposal with Sandra Bullock. Also someone who is, uh, you know, a legend in the industry for being so nice. A human being. Yes. So you've got two people who modeled for him. Hey, you can be successful you can find your thing, because I think we could argue, too, that Sandra Bullock and Hugh Jackman have found their thing. Oh, yeah. Right? Found their groove. And you can be good at it and still be nice to people. And I think that all of that happened and converged in three ways. Where he leaned into, where he's able to lean into, as you say, you, he found his thing. Mm-hmm. His thing is, he he is a believable dick. Uh, he may not, yeah, yeah. He may not be a real dick anymore, but when he plays a dick and he's sarcastic and he's quippy, you believe him. He mm-hmm. can really sell it. Well, in a very campy way, though, right? Yeah, like, he's
0: never played a true villain. Villain,
1: no, but in a campy way. So he leaned into it with three things. Okay. Twitter. Uh huh. Deadpool. Yeah. But prior to Deadpool, the failure of Green Lantern. Hmm. Okay. And that to me is those three things combined with the mentorship of Sandra Bullock and Hugh Jackman have led Ryan Reynolds to where he is now. He's found the groove where he belongs. Which is uh, don't take
0: anything all that seriously, right? Yeah. I'm even more curious about what that sort of freedom, what that uh, not taking yourself too seriously thing does for… Selecting scripts for choosing your next move. Because, again, he's not on the red carpets when the award seasons come about. Maybe he wants to be. Maybe he could give a shit. Yeah. He's not doing a prestige TV project. No. Maybe he could give a shit. Maybe he wants
1: to be. Well, he's about to have his third kid or has had his third kid. That's a lot of kids in a short amount of time.
0: Right. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But like, look, uh, you know, let's be real. A lot of that will fall on Blake Lively, but you also have to make some money to keep those kids going, you know? So in theory, he's choosing some projects. But I'm curious about whether it like if you could fairy godmother everybody in Hollywood and give them utter don't
1: give a fuck confidence, what would they all choose? What would they all do? I love how this is going back to SNL as like your moment of Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. light bulb. Because I think that what you have always loved is a performer who can fly the way that you need to fly on Saturday Night Live. There's a specific kind of, of actor or entertainer who can both do SNL and slide into whatever roles that they choose that are scripted mm-hmm. so easily. The reason why I'm making the distinction is because, sorry, but I have to take a hit at this. Justin Timberlake, many people consider him to be good at SNL, Mm -hmm. but he's terrible at acting. He's not great. Yeah, at all. And I would argue that he's good at SNL because he's comfortable being watched but not necessarily, like, he's not funny to me the way Ryan Reynolds is funny. Well, he's muggy, right? Like, Justin Timberlake is muggy and, yeah. it's,
0: and it's that sort of frenetic next, next, next yeah. pace. And it's all that Mickey Mouse called training and years in arenas. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you were saying that people know, have to know how to fly, I was thinking that uh, uh, gymnasts and stunt performers and things always say, we have to know how to fall. Right, it's partly about knowing how to take the hit when something goes badly yeah. and going, oh well, next. Yeah, and I think that's a Justin Timberlake strength. Yeah, is that just like next, next, next? But you're right, none of it is all that memorable. And Reynolds seemed to strike
1: a a weird middle ground. But it goes. But it also goes back to what you said about not giving a fuck. Because when I'm watching Justin Timberlake on SNL, I I can see all the fucks. Oh yeah, right? Yes. And yes. Ryan Reynolds I I agree with you. It was like, yeah, I'll show up, I'll do whatever if it works, it works if it doesn't whatever, but I'll, you know, I'll play along, but I don't give a shit. In the best way possible. Yes, in the be- not in the sense of I don't give a shit I will sabotage the, the hell out of this. No, but it there didn't seem to be like a tension. And I mean a tension, not attention. Because I know it's hard to, conf- it would be confusing when you're talking about Justin Timberlake and to confuse uh, uh, uh. the two. However, um, I think that's what, I think that's what the difference is. But I also think with Ryan Reynolds, there is, yeah, there is not a, a goal to be taken seriously outside of that either. There's not a defensiveness about it, no. right? No, like what if I do SNL and I need it to matter because I need to land in a comedy, or what if I, I can't do SNL because I need it to matter because I need to be taken seriously as a dramatic actor? Now, granted, he has a certain amount of freedom now. Like, it's easier to not give any fucks when you are Deadpool times two. Sure, but Deadpool won't last forever, right? Like, it's
0: always got to be what's the next thing, what's the next thing. Um, I just, it, it was really, it made him that much more attractive. I mean that in the, like, traditionally attractive sense, but also in the just people I want to spend time with sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I, yeah, I'm much more into seeing what you do now.
1: Well, I'm really into, like, I'm a, I don't know what word, what the word for this is, and you can help me find it or make one up. I'm kind of um, a social climber, gold digger on reputation, like if someone tells me something tastes good, it depends on who that someone is.
0: Yes, you are that. That is absolutely true. Right? You value certain opinions more than Correct. others. Yep. And so
1: for me, when Will Ferrell handpicks you… Yep. …to be in his monologue, Now, it's Will Ferrell, so he didn't need uh, an assist… No, but at the same time, he had them by the dozen, right? As right. we said. Exactly. Yeah. And so he could have had an assist from anybody. Yes. He chose specifically Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. It worked beautifully. Mm-hmm. Will Ferrell clearly had the confidence in Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds delivered for Will Ferrell. But that was a whatever that, whatever scratches me in that social climby, gold-diggy way in that sense, that to me, Raised Ryan Reynolds' profile like in a huge way,
0: right? Um, I really like that. I, I, yeah, you're saying Will Ferrell is your personality tastemaker or one of them in this
1: world, in this right? arena. in this yeah. SNL arena. Yeah, like that's a pretty fucking big deal to be like, hey, Will's hosting. At, he's going to be a five timer. So on his five timer show, during his monologue, he's called me up and he's asked me to be the the straight man. And to
0: extend that, of course, it's not just Will Ferrell because the weekend update segment had nothing to do with him. That happened because somebody heard that Reynolds was going to be around and was like, oh, he can do this or he'll do this, or they wanted him to be there. He's valued in that space. So yes, I hear you and I I get you.
1: But have we answered the question, what is Ryan Reynolds?
0: No. And here's the most confounding part to finish off our conversation. Usually somewhere in a discussion like this, we say, what is Ryan Reynolds and what is this? And then we go, well, his next upcoming projects are blah, blah, and blah. IMDb is not everything. It is not updated with precision regularity. uh, So it may be slightly out of date. But at the time of our recording, he has a a voice role in… The Fast and the Furious uh, presents Hobbs
1: and Shaw. Yep. Oh, no, no. he Not a voice role. I saw that movie. He has an actual role. Okay. It says voice. So, like I
0: said, IMDb, not always super… Yeah. Uh, there you go. And, you know, but… Uh, and, uh, and there's, you know, the reference to uh, Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. And that's it. There are no upcoming projects. In the pipeline. Nothing under actor. I'm sure we could go into producer yeah. and see what else he's up to, but there's nothing else listed for Ryan Reynolds as being in production right now. But he owns a phone company. But I find that
1: even <laughs> more fascinating. <laughs> and a gin company. But that's even better. Not that I need, I need to be here to help promote his gin company, but aviation is pretty good. And you know I'm a gin drinker. I do know that. And I also, I love that you tried it. So have we answered what is Ryan Reynolds? I I think that the point is that uh, Ryan Reynolds is that question. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of fun to not be able to nail him down. But
0: the more enigmatic he gets and the more like weird semi-funny captions or pictures on a Blake Lively Instagram the more intriguing I find him. And I never thought I would be sitting here saying that. Many of us
1: have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So there's a movie opening this weekend that I really, really hope everyone goes to see. I mean, it's not going to do Frozen money, but... Uh-huh. <laughs> But (laughs) nothing's doing frozen
0: money. That's not the metric for any of the rest of the people.
1: Yeah. But it already has buzz, award season buzz. And as we know, like, it always helps if an award buzzy movie has a box office to go with it. Um, And that would be Queen and Slim. Mm -hmm. Written by Lena Waithe. Yep. Directed by Melina Matsoukas. Yes. Who we have talked about a few times on this show. Both of whom, yeah. But I can see a
0: world in which both those names are familiar, but not
1: quite all the way uh, full household names just yet, right? Yeah. And I think that people know their work. Like, uh, I think a lot of people watch Master of None. Probably that would be the general… Like, if we… Again, I always go polling. So, for the people who know Lena Waithe, I think… I think a good 7 out of 10 would know her from Master of None. I would absolutely agree. Um, and then Melina Matsukis, you know her work uh, because of Beyonce's videos, Formation being one of them, Rihanna videos, and also Insecure, which is the capacity in which we talked about Melina Matsukas in our, I think in our first season. Yeah,
0: exactly. She was, uh, I think, one of the all-resident Directors almost on Instagram That's right. at that time.
1: But this is their both their first feature. Uh-huh. So it's Melina's feature film directorial debut, and this is the first feature film that Lena has written. And I mean, they have a breakout star in Jodie Turner Smith. Um, of course, we know Daniel Kaluuya uh, from um, Get Out and Black Panther. So, and that stacked. one Black Mirror episode, I have to sorry,
0: interrupt you with <laughs> a, another digression, but. His, nobody ever talks about his Black Mirror episode, but it's great. Okay, hi, signed. I came to Black Mirror five years late.
1: <laughs> well, the point is, this movie has been buzzing since the summer. They actually uh, they actually started screening it in June, July, and they kind of let it simmer, and people started talking about it more, talking about it more, and to the point where, yeah, it's buzzy for awards. It's coming out, and Lena and Melina uh, cover hype beast which is what I sent to you uh, because there were just, there were s- so many good things in this in this piece, this interview with them about their collaboration on this film that I'm desperate to talk about it. And this kind of work is, my God, it's, I, like, I, I feel, I'm wet. What was the thing for you that you had to talk about? Oh, the number
0: one thing is… I wonder if it's the same. I wonder too. Yeah. Uh, the number one thing for me is that Lena Waite says, Melina cares so much about the little things and I'm about the bigger picture. Uh-huh. And she says, the ideology of love is in the details is something that I'm really trying to pick up on. And I love this uh, because she talks about how uh, a big thing she's learned from Melina is don't be afraid to go in and move something a few inches to the left. Don't be afraid to go in and pull a piece of lint out of an actor's hair because it may not seem like it matters in the grander scheme of things, but ultimately it does matter. So I can see you nodding like you like this and and enjoy it, but
1: was this your one? It wasn't, but I… Oh, that's even better. Yeah. I, I want to talk about this because I, I love this. I love that that was what resonated with you. I mean, the whole thing resonated with us, right? So it's just about like the big, big highlights.
0: Yeah, it's about the… it's. We always say it's about the work, but this is about the craft, right? Yes. And about confessing that you don't always have all of the craft at your fingertips, mm-hmm. that's something that I think doesn't come up a whole lot. Yeah. People don't say, here are all the mistakes I made in my first project, in right. my third, in my yeah. ninth, right? And this
1: is sort of very much uh, tangibility. Yeah. Does that make sense? I do. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that the film, I mean, when you hear Lena talking about Melina's attention to detail… All of that relates to a director's visual style as a service to the story. Right. And so when she's obsessing about a few inches of a a, a glass on a table here and there and a piece of lint in the hair, it's not just because she's a perfectionist and everything has to look perfect. It's because the way things look relate to the story you're trying to tell. And the reason why I'm fixating on this is because in some of the reviews of this film, and I clearly don't agree with them, um, they have criticized the, quote, style over substance approach. Interesting. Which I think is fucking bullshit. Uh Uh-huh. Because, and I, listen, I'm not going to throw around that sexist, but to me… When you have a director who's known for stylizing her stories like the formation video, Mm -hmm. the way it looks is 100% inseparable from the story and the substance. Well, yes, and
0: um, the other thing about that is that, not to put too fine a point on it, but Melina is the director, Lena is the writer, on some level… The substance is meant to come from the story that's on the page, yeah. right? Then the director adds, yes, visual tone and style and yeah. tells the story through not just style, but brings it up onto the screen, makes you notice and see the things that you want to see. Yeah. But I love what's, I mean, it, it. I haven't seen the film yet, but I look forward to seeing the style of it because we're kind of used to not mm-hmm. in… In movies like this that are, uh, suffice it to say, it is a, a caper is too light a word. But it's, uh, what's the one word description of what kind of movie this is? It's a character piece that is
1: a… Also like a, a, a I wouldn't say caper, like a on the run film? Yeah. it's It's yeah.
0: like almost a road movie. Yeah. Right? Um, but one of the things I loved about that quote I read is that uh, I've had such great relationships… In my work, mm-hmm. working with people where we had equal but separate talents. Yeah. Working with somebody where it goes clearly, hey, yeah. here's your jurisdiction, here's mine, but also let's work really closely together and share those mm-hmm. and we both get so much better. So that's what I really loved about that is that, yes, Lena, the writer, is learning from Melina, the director. Yeah. Yeah. That you have to get in there and adjust this or do that. And frankly, writers, which is where uh, writers, uh, Lena came from writing and comedy and so forth, are sometimes so delighted to just be having the thing get made. Yeah. That it can seem like, yeah, don't obsess over the details. Uh, The same way we're told, like, don't obsess over a comma. You don't obsess over a little thing that you see. But I love that this is the marriage of where both can happen at once. Yeah. Um, So that was a real early standout in this piece for me.
1: And frankly, I love that these two are names enough that they are selling the film. Well,
0: yeah, but they point out that that's kind of rare, Yeah. I mean, typically, who sells a film? Your leads. Yeah, absolutely. It's your stars. But they're bigger names. You're right. Both of them. They are bigger names than their… Chris certainly. Yeah. Uh, are they a bigger name than Daniel Kaluuya? Uh, yes, I would say so. I would say that the Beyonce Association uh, lifts uh, Melina. Melina up to above Daniel Kaluuya. And uh, that Lena, yes, I, w- I would say she has more name recognition. Is that a bigger star, a bigger quote? Not necessarily. But as you would say in the polling, Yeah. I think… Uh, they have bigger name recognition or project recognition. In certain circles, I would argue. Yeah, but this is, but we're saying people on the street, right? Project recognition, I'm saying they're going to do better than he is.
1: I I mean, I think that's debatable, but I do think the main point is that we've gotten to a place where um, this is the magazine cover. You know, I haven't seen Daniel Kaluuya on a magazine cover um, on his own, which is atypical for the director and the screenwriter to be doing so many of the magazine covers. I mean, they're in the L power issue. We just talked about Hype Beast. I just like that this is a con like a continuation of what we have been talking about throughout, where screenwriters and people who are behind the scenes and behind the camera are now celebrities, boldface names in their own right. Oh,
0: absolutely. And I and I'm absolutely here for it. I love it.
1: I I do think there's a world in which it's almost by design, right? Where… 100%, I think both of them wanted to be in this space.
0: Yes. And to have… and they both have that kind of hybrid career… Yeah. …where they've had a certain amount of on-camera appearances, Mm -hmm. Uh, Melina less so, but she's done a lot of pieces. Like, she's as household namey as a director can be and not be Greta Gerwig or, you know. Um, She's been known for a long while. So it's it's that perfect storm of, yes, they are big enough names to carry this press tour
1: and to promote this film. I also think it's amazing, and this was my big takeaway, is that… They may not be big enough names, but they're big enough in confidence and in, I guess it's self-belief in their project that they had Final Cut. Yeah, that was great. That was the thing that, I mean, again, this whole piece is great, but that was the thing that was in neon lights for me reading this. Um, And you can speak more about this, but Final Cut for a first-time feature director… And a first-time screenwriter is not the usual.
0: No, let's get real here. On a feature, as opposed to a, as opposed to television, uh, the screenwriter never sees a cut, let alone final cut. Does not happen. It's different in TV. You've heard me say this a million times, but she would not be anywhere near the edit bay. And no, for a for a first-time director. Uh, they would hand in a director's cut, or maybe a couple of versions at a right. director's cut. That's
1: why it's called a director's cut. That's right. To, to separate it from often the theatrical cut. From the final,
0: which is released by the studio, Yeah, the producers and money people and whatever. That's who right. They go... decide,
1: mo- like most of the time, ultimately, the studio, the the producers, whatever, they decide. So for them to have final cut… On this project, it's it's a pretty fucking big deal. Yeah, it is, and I I don't remember
0: if they said that that was uh, something they negotiated or just the way it turned out. But it's it's pretty big either way. Um, to say yeah, what is on that screen is one
1: hundred percent what I put there, what I wanted to be there, and. I hope it's some combination of both, a negotiation and the studio saying, and because, you know, who the heads of studios are. So I hope it's the studio also saying, yeah, yeah, we'll give you this in negotiation, but also we're giving it to you because we're not the people who should be having the final cut on this film in particular. No, for sure. But to… Uh, you know,
0: yes, you're talking about voice and visibility and who is telling whose stories. And yeah. I'm right there with you on that front. That said, things can go very wrong in on shoots that everybody has confidence in. What was that one that we were talking about last season uh, that Tom Holland was in and they were like standing yeah. in the swamp shooting reshoots with yes. a handheld? You know, things can go bad in yeah. all kinds of situations. So I think this speaks to… And probably this was on the minds of the Lena and Melina team all the time, right? Is this has to go well yeah, for this to go the way we want. For us to be able to tell the story we want to tell, mm-hmm. we can't be having reshoots. We can't be asking for, you know, gobs more money. And it, this is not a Game of Thrones situation, you know? Yeah. It has to be the story we want to tell from jump which is why all those little things, moving the glass and fixing the hair, become so important so that nobody has room to say, I don't know if you were ready or let us take a pass at this or whatever.
1: Yeah. I'm glad because I I think that um, for me, I've I've been posting about this film probably since, you know, we heard the buzz from the first screenings. And then this week, Lena was on the social and we interviewed her it was my second interview with her actually. The first time I interviewed her was last year and it was before she started shooting this. And then she was on the social this week and the way that she spoke about her vision with Melina's vision in bringing this story together, um, you know, as a creator yourself, Duanna, ambitious art attempts to tell multiple stories or at least convey multiple messages simultaneously. It has to, yeah. You, you almost need to dress up your theme in a different theme
0: yeah. and trick people into seeing one and not the other yes. so that, yeah, that's part of the… that's the goal anyway yeah. for everybody.
1: The overarching goal, as she said, for Queen and Slim is that this is a meditation on being black. Mm-hmm. It's also a black love story. It is a depiction of black love. One couple's love story. And she said this thing right off the top where, you know, I asked her, I said, "Um, that was a priority for you, yes, because typically the representation of black love, well, there's a lack of it. So she said, she challenged the audience and us. She's like, name the last time on screen that you saw two black characters making love. I'll wait. Love and basketball. That's a long time ago. It's
0: super long ago, yeah. it is, but it sticks in the mind. It's 1997. It is, yeah, 22 years is way too That's long right. ago.
1: But I mean, we had Beale Street last year, but her point is it's like either once a year or once every 22 years or whatever. But
0: I, yeah, and I guess my point was not just to be a smartass, but that it sticks in the mind because of how unusual it was. That's right. That it was a love story just for a love
1: story's sake. That's right. And so her follow-up to that, where she was like, I'll wait, and then, you know, people got her point was, she said, "Um, making love is the most human thing ever. Absolutely. The most universal. But when you don't see black people making love, then you don't attach humanity to them. Mm -hmm. She's like, so yeah, I wanted to tell a story about two black people in love, falling in love as the world burns around them. That was I've heard it said before, but she said it so succinctly and with so much passion. Um, And obviously from a storyteller's perspective, like you could almost see her at the keyboard doing that, that I thought to myself, wow, I can't wait for people to go see this film, but also appreciate that it's about two people who are in love, where if you took away the violence from it, It could also be a metaphor for when you fall in love, it is like the world is burning around you and you're in this little cocoon. Uh, Yeah. No matter who you are. And we've seen that story
0: a billion times on screen. Yeah. And it feels, you know, a love story is always the same, but Mm -hmm. it has the ability to feel new every time. Yeah. And her point that it's new again this time and equally as exciting
1: and valid and and important to see is, is well taken. And then the next thing I wanted to tell you that she said, because you're a writer, I know you'll appreciate this, is she was talking about voice, Mm -hmm. voice of her characters, how they speak to each other, how they express themselves. And so she described, and obviously I'm not going to be able to say it in the same eloquent way, but she said, you know, I wanted to accurately and authentically present how we speak. She said, We speak with a little city, a little Southern, and a little slavery. That's what's in our throat. Oh my God, I wow. had the response when she said that city, mm-hmm. Southern, slavery. Mm-hmm. So that is the black vernacular. And then she said, I can speak the king's English. Mm-hmm. I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. But now it's your turn to listen to how we speak. Right. And I thought that that was such a clever way of of talking about representation and inclusion, about depicting real people using their language to interact with
0: each other. I mean, look, I, I love what she said, but I have a completely different take from it. And you're right, it's entirely from a writing perspective. And that is that I'm sure there were some... Like titters when she said a little city, a little southern, and then a few gasps when she said, and a little slavery. And… In our throat. Right. And my thing is you have to know your characters that well in order to be able to say that. You have to be able to… Like, I love it from a writing perspective. I think it's a profound thing to say about the story, but also as somebody who's creating the characters… You need to know their history long before you ever see them on the screen, long after. You need to know sort of how all those elements of the black experience were addressed in their personal families of origin. You know, you have to be aware of where they're coming from. And I think that especially where feature films are concerned, as opposed to TV, which we talk a lot more now People can sometimes get involved in the plot is blank. The story is blank. Yeah. But the point is that her point is that it's not just like male A and female B have a love story while on the run. It's these characters with these experiences. And you, a writer who doesn't want to get up close and personal with those experiences, including the less savory parts, Mm -hmm. is not going to write as memorable a story. I do really, really like that. That's great.
1: It's a… listen, um, if if we can do anything, it's to encourage more people to go see this film. I think it's essential. I think it's vital. And it's, I think it's fucking exciting. Yeah, I can't wait. Because these two women are, like, accumulating, as you would say, their
0: capital. Yeah, and this gives them more to do. I should also say that, uh, you know, we've just spent all this time saying… Oh, they're, they have capital, they're, they've had these successes. But I would say that uh, Lena Waithe has also done the impossible in this room because I've never in my life watched you say making love with a straight face
1: one time, <laughs> let alone several. I was quoting her verbatim, but yes.
0: So I'm impressed. Also, she's, I mean,
1: she's so fucking sexy. Mm-hmm like the minute she walked into the space mm-hmm. i uh, there was a change in the air for not just me but for everybody like we were all our pheromones no she were. leads
0: from the hip in oh. all the
1: ways fascinating no she has yeah. swagger on swagger also it's a movie that i mean god we could have ended this conversation so long ago but to go back to the stylization it looks great it's a film that looks gorgeous Which is enjoyable in itself. But, ah, that's why I wanted to talk about this. Because we talked about Lena. I want to talk about Melina. It looks gorgeous and it is a signature. You know, we talk about mostly male directors who have a signature and you can spot it in the visual. Tarantino Mm -hmm. is a great example, right? You can, I don't have to tell you… That this is a Tarantino movie, I could just play it for you, and you'd be able to know this is a Tarantino movie. Of course. There are tropes. There are Spielberg tropes. That's right. Yeah. She is, in her first feature film, already developing her signature in just the way, Melina Matsuka's, the way it looks. And Mm -hmm. it's so exciting. Well, I wonder, developing
0: or are they already those visual cues that you know Mm -hmm. from having studied formation and uh, other studied. works. And, you know, <laughs> well, but yeah, so that they trigger those triggers yeah. in you. So that the same way that, you know, a music cue repeated over and over or a, you know, I don't know, for Sophia Coppola, it was always like a, like a sunburst that blinds you a bit, yeah. that those are already visual cues that press the right emotional buttons in you.
1: Interesting that, you know, Quentin Tarantino's visuals aren't complained about as being style over substance, but Anyway, Queen and Slim, go see
0: it. So once upon a time on this show, we used to talk about, oh, do I need to care about so-and-so? And And, uh, sometimes we did and sometimes we didn't. But what I love most about this final story is that the way that some people, some performers, some uh, people who have been in Hollywood for long enough… Remind you that you always cared, remind you that they're still here and still playing in the game. Um, So we are talking about Jean Smart, uh, (laughs) not somebody that I would have expected to be on Show Your Work, and yet it's so super relevant. Me neither. If you don't know, she is, of course, right now, like, on the tip of everybody's tongue uh, in... Watchmen. Uh, She plays Laurie Blake, uh, the former vigilante, who, spoiler, 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 if you haven't watched, although as somebody who watched the first episode of The Watchmen without having read the comic, uh, it was, they could have spoiled everything and I wouldn't have known because it was so deep and deep. So uh, I think everybody is, surprised that this is this is the role that is suddenly has everybody talking. This is the show
1: right now. Oh, yeah. This is the show. And, you know, not that HBO needs kudos from us, but kudos to HBO because, you know, the big question, whatever, six months ago was, what are they going to do to fill the gap of Game of Thrones? And I'm not saying Watchmen is there yet. But they're getting a lot of a lot of play for Watchmen, and you know what? On the heels of Succession.
0: Yeah, and which those two couldn't be more different. And the conversations, though, about the about Watchmen are
1: ongoing, constant, and people are yes. eating it up. Eating it up. Um, listen, I haven't gone deep into Watchmen yet. So, I don't know much about the story. I want to binge it over the holidays. But I will say that I can't get away from Watchmen conversations nope. in my circles. And to your point, I think one of the most surprising things, and maybe this is the key to HBO's success, is that they have found unexpected stars. Like, you know, Gene Smart is not someone I expected to show up in Watchmen. Well, we should pull back the curtain. If you've been sitting here Googling
0: and thinking, Gene Smart, it sounds too easy. It can't be as easy to Google as it is. Gene Smart was most recently uh, Floyd Gerhardt in Fargo in, I think, my favorite season of Fargo, uh, season two, which it's also… Kirsten
1: Dunst season? Yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: it was Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons. It's where they fell in love. Yeah. Um, but we really did bury the lead here. Jean Smart played Charlene on *Designing Women* back in the day, yeah. W- and forever in the '90s when it was on in syndication, the sweet Southern woman mm-hmm. who you knew then, yeah, is still here and doing really incredible work and incredible things.
1: She's the kind of actress, though, that even though, even if you didn't watch *Designing Women*, and even if you didn't watch all the other things like Fargo. Fargo wasn't a highly rated show. Critically acclaimed, but not super, super viewed. Yes. But I promise you, anybody listening, if you don't even know Jean Smart's name, you know her face because you've watched enough movies and enough TV and she she works constantly. Here is um, a partial list. Uh, we
0: have the Brady Bunch movie, Frasier, 24, Samantha Who, Garden State, Sweet Home Alabama, Getting On, A Simple Favor, Legion. That's just like a smattering.
1: Yeah. She works constantly. I know you, you definitely know your her face out there. Like when you see the face, you're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen lots of movies with her in it. But I guess at this point in her career, Watchmen may be her breakout role. Uh, or a
0: re-breakout, for
1: sure. Yeah. yeah it's, yeah, it was, um,
0: she was somebody who once was a, you know, a TV regular and then was one of those people who was, as you say, always working, right? It's like, kind of like Anne Dowd. Yeah. Anne Dowd, uh, who was, is on The Handmaid's Tale, was sort of a face that everybody knew. Yeah. But yeah, uh, this role of Lori is a really, um, look, I'm going to lay it out there it is a juicy and exciting role and usually a juicy and exciting role like that a, a star making role if you want a breakout it doesn't go to somebody of jean smarts age yeah and that is what's so interesting and exciting um that she has been around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, if my math is correct, she is sixty-eight years
1: old. Mm-hmm. And done. Look it, I will say.
0: Like, no, or, I would have put her at fifty-seven. Yeah, I'd like to believe that this is just what sixty-eight looks like now. Yeah. You know, but um, but yeah, is having a huge career moment at almost seventy, and God knows Hollywood ages out millions of women before now and even now, but I love that this is happening, that the most talked about show of, certainly of the last month or so, is, you know, has at its center uh, a woman who didn't suddenly disappear on, you know, her last fuckable day, as they called it.
1: Well, there are two things I want to say here. Um, I wasn't like an avid watcher of Designing Women, I know what it's about, but I will say that I don't think that she's the first name you name when you talk about designing women. It's Delta. It was Delta Burke and Dixie Carter. Dixie yep. Carter passed
0: away, um, which is sad. Uh, and Annie Potts, it was Delta Burke, Dixie Carter, uh, Annie Potts, and Jean Smart. And all of them but Jean Smart had kind of had careers, and I should say in Meshach Taylor. Uh, but all of them had kind of had careers… Before that show, like, it was already a yeah. bit of a collection
1: of stars with the yeah. exception of her, kind of. But my point is, I don't think Jean's face… When you say Designing Women, you see Delta or yeah. Dixie. Yes, like, yes. it's… Those are the poof poof, right? Yes. And so, that's number one. So, number two, now with Watchmen, you name… You say Watchmen… The face that comes to mind, there are two faces. It's either Regina King mm-hmm. or it's Gene Smart, right? But I think before, which is really exciting. But I think before it
0: came out, we all expected that it would be Regina King. That's right, right. That was the that was what we expected. Nobody thought that the big image from the hottest TV show going yeah. would be Gene uh, Smart with a giant dildo.
1: Also, You've seen that image, right? Yes. and But the thing is, when I saw the trailer, my yeah. reaction was, huh? Gene Smart's in this, this show? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I, she's probably in the periphery. It was completely unexpected that she would become such a central driver of the story and probably the, the character that generates the most tweets and memes and chatter. Don't you think?
0: I do. And I have to apologize, but I have to get smug on you here because… Um this is where even though it wasn't hugely watched but this is where her uh her turn in Fargo mm-hmm. was a real predecessor here. Yeah. She played a fucking hard ass and it was awesome and it was unexpected then. Uh and her storyline was quite separate until the very end from the Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons storyline, but you c- I understood after having watched that, it's season two, if anybody wants to go back, why this was a was a gimme kind of role. And I have no idea if it was offered to her or if it was an audition process or what. But having known that, I was like, oh yeah, I buy this. I get why this is happening for her in Watchmen. Or maybe even why the role
1: was created. And I wonder if that has to do with the success and the buzz about Watchmen to begin with. Like, You know, going into one of these stories that's adapted from a graphic novel and it belongs in the world adjacent to superheroes and comic books and whatnot, there is a certain fan base and a certain assumption that it's going to be male-driven. Yes. And it's really exciting that HBO's perhaps new flagship show, like the one that, because remember, Game of Thrones wasn't like monstrous in, in season one.
0: You know, in fact,
1: it was only nerds who knew, right? Like, frankly. That's right. It picked up when people started talking about it. And so other people started tuning in, like, oh, I better get on this Watchmen or this Game of Thrones thing. And it really, it reached that zenith in, like, I think season three and four, right? Where it really became this cultural phenomenon. And so Watchmen, some people say, has that potential to build and, and snowball. I mean, I don't think we'll ever see numbers like Game of Thrones again, but my point is, is that... This is the Zeitgeist show, and what has been upending about it is that it's a show where the two women are the most exciting part.
0: Yeah, and it's really exciting from an adaptation point of view, too, um, which is to say that I am a, I'm a Watchmen virgin in that I don't know the, the graphic novel. Uh, it's on my bedside table. Uh, but I haven't read it and known it for years. Right. Uh, yes, I saw the movie, but everybody saw the movie and it has no resemblance. But I think the movie was terrible. Yeah, I think that's generally accepted to yeah. be the case from both like graphic novel fans and not, right? But I think that uh, the creators of Watchmen on HBO were very specific that it was going to be associated with the graphic novel, but not a direct mm-hmm. uh, adaptation, adaptation yeah. recreation, partly to allow for what you're talking about, to allow for these two women who we didn't know to come up and be the, the new face of this story and to make it a story that you don't have to be an insider, nerd, or graphic novel fan. I know it's not all nerds, and nerds is not a pejorative anyway, to know, you know, which I think is really exciting. I think that that is HBO kind of going, oh, right, we did a super faithful adaptation before. Yeah. Uh, and now let's do something else, something that is that but isn't. So I think it it speaks well in that place as well. Yay, Jean Smart. Yay, Jean Smart. And, like, if it makes people write more roles for older women, if uh, people have new ideas about how to manage and adapt IP, yeah, it's really exciting. Are we ready for Heads Up? Yeah, we missed it the last couple of weeks. We did. I mean, we got almost as much joy from snarky comments. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> we did. Um, but yeah, now we'll do one round each. I'm feeling it. I think we're ready. Okay. What is your category? Uh, give me superstars. That always goes well. Okay. Um all right, superstars. Sure, here we go. Okay. Oh, this is your category. Okay.
0: Uh, shock jock on the radio.
1: Howard Stern. Yes. Uh,
0: uh, uh. It's uh, initials. He's a rapper. He's Ti. Yes. Uh, we talked about him today. Movies. Ryan Reynolds. Nope. Movie director, uh, fantasy. Quentin Tarantino. Amblin Entertainment. Uh, Steven Spielberg. Yes. Uh, she used to be the key host on The View, the one who is the moderator. Meredith Veil. Yes. Uh, and she was sitting up in her room. Uh, she sang The Boy Is Mine with Monica. Brandy. Yes. <laughs> uh, a, your, fi- your current favorite of the Chris's, I believe. Oh, Evans? Yes. Uh, oh, uh, host of uh, a show called 360. He's on CNN. He's... Anderson Cooper. Yes. Uh, oh, and uh, the second lead singer of Destiny's Child. Oh, Michelle, uh, uh, Kelly
1: Rowland. Yes. Uh, and, oh. Wow, I fucking nailed this one. You did, but. Okay, let me see. <clears throat> Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, wait, wait. Um, okay, Ready? I want to just to clarify:
0: uh, the second lead singer of Destiny's Child is a isn't a joke that we will also link to.
1: <laughs> um. Oh. Um. Uh, oh, Charlize Theron dated him. Uh, Stuart Townsend. Uh, uh Sean Penn. Funny guy. Um, um. I can't remember the name of the show. <laughs> um. Baby, hit me one more time. Britney Spears. Married to Meghan Markle. Uh, Prince Harry. Fast and Furious. Paul, Wa- Paul Walker. The other one. Vin Diesel. Yes. Married to Adina Menzel at one point. Taye Diggs. And Ugly Betty. Uh, America Farrar. Uh Chandelier is her hit song. Sia. She- Buffy, the vampire slayer. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, Tyrion Lannister. Peter Dinklage. Saturday. That was pretty good. I just couldn't find the words for Seth McFarland. Oh, boy. I mean... Of all the clues? Uh, it, was, it was coming to me. It was like, oh, family guy. Well, I also got eight,
0: so that's great. But I'm more alarmed that your reference for Seth MacFarlane is <laughs> Charlize- dated Charlie <laughs> Theron.
1: Of all the things. When his name popped up, all I could see was her face. For future
0: reference, all you need for him is to say the most offensive thing ever said at the Oscars, we saw your boobs.
1: Right. Um, God, that was. uh, I like that we ended on a tie. Yeah. Even though I wasted so much time on a guy that Charlize Theron used to date or didn't, but we thought that they were dating. We made up the time, it was good. Thank you for listening. Especially if
0: you are an
1: American or a loved
0: one and are currently experiencing Thanksgiving
1: weekend. <laughs> experiencing. Happy Thanksgiving in America. And please subscribe to our podcast wherever you <laughs> listen to them. Absolutely. Leave us comments and reviews. They help
0: people find the podcast. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Bye.
1: <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better?